Welcome to the Monica Klein Show, and I am your host, Monica Leal Klein. For those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. I am the ultimate insider to comprehensive sexuality education. I will take you behind the doors. How is that possible? Well, because I used to be a comprehensive sexuality educator for over 10 years. I was uh, mentored and, and, and trained by the LGBTQ community and Planned Parenthood. And I left that career after I began to finally see how this education is harming children, families, and whole communities. And so now I am sounding the alarm, but not just sounding the alarm. I'm also offering you hope and solution. Because let me tell you a secret here. Planned Parenthood used to always tell me, parents are a barrier to service. That's what they always said to me at every workshop and every conference that I had with them. They always said, parents are a barrier to service. And you know why they're saying that? Because they know that as soon as you, as soon as the parent finds out what their children are doing or that they're going to a Planned Parenthood, the parent naturally begins to protect that child and Planned Parenthood never sees them again. So they know that the parent is the barrier between them and your children. And so that's why I founded It Takes a Family, because I am committed to educating, equipping you, encouraging you, whatever it takes to be your, your children's greatest advocates and influencers. Because when you can have a trusting relationship with your children, and when you're the one who's educating them on all things, including puberty and sexuality, then your children don't need to rely on outsiders to do that. When you teach them truth at home, they will be able to identify the lie in the community. When they know that they can come to you with tough questions, then the people out in the, in, in the world cannot influence them because your children are going to come home and say, so-and-so told me this, is that true? And if you're able to give them an answer or willing to find the answer with them, then man, the trust that you, that you are fostering with your children will, will just be amazing. And so that is what I do is I want to strengthen families across this nation and maybe one day across the globe. Okay. Because I believe in family. Now today we are going to be speaking to George Roska one more time. Uh, last week we had part one of my interview with him this week is part two guys. You want to listen to this because he is speaking about the very thing that I've been telling you guys about, which is the philosophy behind comprehensive sexuality education, the founding beliefs. And as a father and pastor, he started doing some research and he discovered what I've been saying within, uh, some documents that Planned Parenthood shared, I believe at the UN. So listen in, hold on tight because he's about to reveal a lot of things. And one more thing towards the end of this podcast, you want to listen to this. We have some time talking about how important men's voices are in protecting children from sexualization. So it's so important that fathers are speaking into their children's lives. And so I'm a big advocate for making sure that my brothers are right there along with all of us women who've been combating this for decades. We need men in this movement fighting and standing with us to protect children. So listen in and get equipped. Let's get into the first one. You talked about Article 1 being the right to equality. 
Tell us about that. You talked about how it was really talking about that it's given by the state, equal access by the state. Yeah, right to equality um, based on the new definition of sexuality. So that means there really is no more morality. Um, anyone, you can have your own thoughts, fantasies, pleasures, eroticisms. Uh, that's all good. We are all on e an equal playing field. There is nothing better or worse. Uh, and so that is, um, you know, egregiously wrong. Um, but then the second part that really struck me was that these rights are, are sexual rights, which are equal to human rights, uh, are not endowed by anybody else except for the state. So the country that you're in, uh, the, you know, the governing authorities, they're the ones that give you these rights. And I'm like, our Declaration of Independence where, you know, the life, the right to life, liberty and pursuit of happiness, you know, is endowed by our creator. Um, and so they do this, uh, you know, finessing and interweaving of human rights language, uh, ascribing it to sexual rights and making them equal which is the, the next shocking thing that I want parents to consider, because think about it this way. Um, what has America done uh, in its history for human rights? I mean, we, we've gone in and fought world wars over atrocities on human rights, right? So now if, if I, as a parent, am trampling over my child's sexual rights, and one of those rights is to, to have their own sexuality, and do whatever they please. I'm trampling not on just their sexual right, I'm trampling on their human right. And guess what happens when you trample on somebody's human rights? You get the full force of the law coming after you. That is right. a scary thought. Yeah, George, I've actually talked about that as well, that you know, when I do presentations and I talk about sexual rights and, and human rights and how they're trying to equate the two, I said, I want you to think about, I tell my audience, think about human rights. And when when we think about human rights, we also have to think that there's someone who's trampling on the rights, the who we label the oppressor. I said, so who mm -hmm. would be the oppressor of a child's right to sexual pleasure? Who would be for just the first person that you would think of or the first population of people that you would think of that would say, no, children should not be having sex. And everyone in the audience always says, well, the parents, I'm like, absolutely. So what this is doing is it's setting up the, the demonization of family. And we see this in so many areas, not just in sexuality, but it's basically saying that parents are the oppressor. And we see this in a lot of different areas where people are saying parents are not equipped, parents are not educated, parents cannot do this. And more and more, we're seeing that there are proposed bills and programs that are eliminating the parent from making decisions about their children's education and healthcare. And so really, you know, we need to be careful in looking at the bills within our state and just on a federal level as well, that if we were to ever consider sexual rights, a human right, it is labeling the parent as an oppressor, like you said, and the full force of the law will be against that parent um, and the children will be sexualized and parents won't be able to do anything about it. And Monica, one other thing for me that I finally helped connect the dots to all of these things, you know, CSE, CRT, historical revisionism, it, it all stems from the critical theory worldview. Because again, we're talking about the oppressor-oppressed relationship, right? So in CSE, you have the parent versus the child that they're trying to play on. 
you know, in CRT, they're trying to play on the races. Um, so it, it all, every one of these is really connected under this umbrella of a new worldview called critical theory, which, which is very Marxist in nature. And we'll, we'll get to that later on. Oh, good. Because um, I'm, I'm actually, honestly, I've been talking to a friend about that, about the critical theory. And you just can inter- inject whatever you want into that critical theory. So when it comes to yep. race, it's critical race theory, critical sex theory, you know, whatever. So, um, exactly. yes, we need to talk about that. Now, Article 3 uh, is right to life, work, uh, and in this case, as you pointed out in the video, the right to uh, the right to sex work. Yes, this one actually was one of the most shocking for me because I couldn't really understand how in the world does an organization uh, that, you know, plan, like Planned Parenthood, which also likes to put out tweets and, and Facebook posts about uh, you know, ending sex trafficking or human trafficking, uh, and and yet here they are promoting sex work, uh, which is prostitution. Um, and so I, I was like, how in the world is this a sexual right? Um, it, it's just shocking. And, and right. we, we found even a plan, a, a Planned Parenthood. Um, of Toronto putting out a Twitter post that says sex work is real work and we support sex workers rights. And what's even more shocking is that Planned Parenthood has this huge influence on the teachers unions and teachers unions are using the same messaging. They, they are in support of sex workers. It's shocking. Teachers unions, your teachers that are saying, yeah, you're seeing that in California. Yeah. Wow. And I'm sure it's not just in California at this point. Uh, when I worked it's driven, alongside... it's driven from the NEA. It's driven from the okay. NEA, the National Educators Association. So they're the they're the glo- they're the national arm. When I worked closely with Planned Parenthood and and I did a lot of outreach and so I send people to Planned Parenthood. That's my previous life. But they were very prideful about providing services back then. They were called pimps and they were really proud that the pimps trusted Planned Parenthood enough to bring their prostitutes to Planned Parenthood for abortions and birth control and treatment for their STDs. And they never, even though they knew it was illegal, they knew they should have reported it, especially if there was minors involved. The way they viewed it is that the girls made this choice it was a they consented to being prostitutes so they weren't going to interfere or judge that and they also said if we don't provide this service then who will who will provide the abortions who will who will treat them of their diseases and so they really thought they were they rationalized that they were the heroes in this scenario of promoting uh, the prostitution and the human trafficking, because who else would provide that service? Um, and and the real answer is save these girls, save these minor girls. Um, you are culpable in promoting and supporting the human trafficking of vulnerable women. And of course, they're twisting everything into saying, "Well, let's make it a legitimate work." Uh, mm-hmm. And and so what we're what we're seeing is that you know majority of women and men who are involved in the sex industry have a past of abuse, and and these a lot of these decisions to be involved in this kind of work I suppose 
if you're going to call it work, uh, but this lifestyle is because of their history in abuse. So what we're seeing is that people are abused. They are now suffering the impact of that, making decisions or maybe being put in a position where they don't feel they have another choice. They're very broken. But then we have Planned Parenthood and similar organizations who are just piling more pain on top of that abuse and basically saying this is legitimate work for you. Uh, and it's one of the worst things um, that I have ever seen that an organization has made so much money and has gotten so support, so much support for their role in furthering the brokenness of broken people. Um, it is basically saying you're already broken. I'm going to take you in and I'm just going to rationalize why you should continue to be in these activities. It, it's, it's just the saddest thing. I've Sad's not really the word. It, it's just, it's evil. It's evil to, to do that. Um, but yes, we're seeing that quite a bit. We're seeing that several states are trying to legalize prostitution as well, thinking that that's going to end the trafficking. Um, but in, in, in reality, the government would just become a regulator of prostitution. They would not be protecting men and women involved in this industry at all. If anything, many people who have left that industry have actually spoken out against those kind of laws. Um, yep. George, you also talked about in Article 5 about autonomy, uh, the, the ability to have pleasure, the right to pleasure, which we kind of talked about you know, before as well. Um, this is another one. In Article 5, you talked about the right to health care. Uh, and, and there's a lot to say about this one, but uh, let, let me have you start. What are, what are your thoughts here on this right to access for health. Uh, basically, this is for minors to have the right to access health care on their own. Is that right? Yeah. And in Article 7, it's titled Right to Health. And, and when you start reading the actual words, it's it's reproductive health care. Again, very deceptive terminology. Um, but, you know, they're they're basically saying here that we we should get away with age based restrictions. Um, and one of the um, phrases they use is because we need to keep in mind the evolving capacity of the child. And this is like very disturbing for me because I'm like, okay, where is this getting at? This, this phrase evolving capacity, the child shows up not just in article seven, but in five other articles as well. And here in particular, um, what it's really meaning is that children have uh, the capacity to make certain decisions and the right to make certain decisions for themselves without parents. And I'm going to connect the dots here because in California, Planned Parenthood helped pass a law um, called the Confidential Health Information Act. And when they helped then pass the uh, comprehensive sexuality education later on in 2016, they also got a seat at the table to develop the health framework. So the law is very high level, four pages, you know, very general, but the health framework, which interprets the law is 700 something pages. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, okay, well, let's see what they really mean by this stuff. Well, in the ninth through 12th grade chapter, they go back and they reference this confidential information law as the right to our children from 9 to you know, 
12th grade. So they're like 13 year olds through 18 year olds, right? Um, they tell them, look, you are legally able to go out of your classroom, go to an abortion clinic, get an abortion without parental consent or knowledge. That's what they teach our children. And that is in the guidelines at the state level. So any curriculum that is being taught has to comply with that guideline. Yes, uh, I saw this years ago. I mean, you can look it up on the CDC that they um, have this very, I would call very weak poll uh, where they pulled adolescents asking them why they did not pursue STD testing and treatment. And many of them, not many, actually a minority, uh, I think it was like 3%, I'll have to look it up, or maybe it was 13, I'll have to look it up, uh, said that it was because they were afraid of their parents finding out. Mm -hmm. And so they created this confidentiality for adolescents, which basically is we're not going to tell the parents, you can feel safe. Uh, and and go get this done. But the problem with that is that it was, um, the poll was like, it was minority. It was almost like they were, they had already decided that they wanted to eliminate parents from the healthcare of their children. And they used this poll with a a very few adolescents making that, that statement to then justify confidentiality for adolescents. And what Mm -hmm. I tell parents all the time is even when you go to your general practitioner with your teen, they are still a minor. And when the doctor says you have to leave, no, you don't. And you don't have to leave at all. And you can discuss that with your child beforehand because you are the the parent is the one who protects that child. When they get them alone, they're going to ask them a lot of intimate questions. That is true. Um, And they will also uh, be be leading that child towards sexual behavior. They will also be asking them about their gender identity. A lot of things that don't need to be happening with a child and a doctor. So, um, but we're seeing this a lot and especially in school-based health clinics where the child is able to access these kind of services within the school or they're being transported. I think in California, they're even being transported to those clinics and brought back. Um, many times these children, if they've had an abortion or they've received some kind of medication, whatever it is, the parents have no idea. So if there's complications at home, the parent has no idea why there's complications. If a, their little girl is possibly bleeding out uh, or she doesn't want to tell her, her parents that she's bleeding out because she had an abortion, she could die in her own bedroom because she's afraid to tell her parents. I mean, we mm-hmm. cannot be eliminating the parent from the health care of their children. And the government has no right to be doing that. Um, so again, your vote is very important. Do not vote for people who are for the elimination of parental authority over their own children. Completely agree. Completely agree. And and for for me, what's interesting is um, over and over, from so many different angles, they're trying to dismantle parental rights. Um, mm-hmm. And and here is just another one of those angles. Yes, the, I mean, this is exactly what it is. It's the, I think when we pull back from all the details of all of this, what we see once again is that this is the demonization of family. It is the elimination of the parent from as being the authority over their child. And the parent, there are study after study, and I think, and it's just common sense that there is no one in this world who is more protective and the, the safest 
you know, institution for children is their own biological family. Now, I know that we have children who've been adopted and such, and it does, and, and again, whoever has adopted, the family that has adopted that child is the protective cover for that child. Um, and so what we're seeing, not only in comprehensive sexuality education, but what you were mentioning earlier, George, was just critical theory, period, is the elimination of the parent. And so we can move into that next topic because as you mentioned, critical theory um, is, is very deep in the Marxist beliefs. And from what I know about the Marxist beliefs and for and communism, is that they want to eliminate two things in order to achieve their goals. They need to eliminate the family and they need to eliminate the Christian's uh, religion. Well, they actually say that in the communist manifesto that they need to remove the belief of God. What's yeah. your experience with yeah. that, George? So, you know, a lot of people talk about socialism, Marxism, uh, and are probably, you know, very, very friendly to it. And they don't realize the tenets and the foundation upon which that worldview um, resides and rests. You know, for for um, us, here's what I would say, because America's tinkering around here on the verge of socialism. And what they don't realize is that um, this has already been tried every which way. And the blueprint is kind of the same. Um, first is, uh, let's go after the children. Uh, and let's go after families. Um, you know, if you go back to even Hitler, he had the Hitler Youth uh, in Romania. The the youth programs that were there were called the Pioneers. And um, I was too young to go to school in Romania, but I'm the eighth of twelve, so I have seven older brothers and sisters who who went through the education system there. And um, back even then to my parents and all of my uncles uh, and aunts. I mean, my dad is the eldest of 10 children, so I get to talk to all of them. And um, what's what's very interesting is that at a very early age, the communists start their indoctrination and making sure that, you know, everything was public education. There was no homeschooling option under communism. There is no private schooling, no charter schooling. There is none of that. It's only the government teaching children. And what's interesting is uh, back in the 50s, 60s, and I believe even into the 70s, uh, from talking to uh, my, my aunts and uncles, uh, school was six days a week. It was Monday through Saturday. And then on Sundays, uh, in order to uh, avoid children for from going to church, the Christian kids from going to church with their families, they would put field trips on Sunday. Um, so communists had their own tactics every which way to keep kids as much in school and less with their families. And we're seeing that same movement with, well, let's mandate kindergarten, let's mandate preschool, uh, let's mandate that kids are now an entire day at school because, well, it just makes sense and we'll use the excuse that, you know, there's mo most parents in America are, are working parents and they're anyways dropping their child off or childcare after school. So they'll come up with various great excuses. But basically, the school is becoming the parent and they're selling that to us as 
providing for the whole child. That's the new phrase. Mm, right. And again, I've spoken about that. The CDC has a program called whole child, whole community, you know, whole school, something like that. And mm. they talk about the whole child and they have a virtual school that you can look at and you can click to see this school and the school has extended school hours. So the children are there earlier and they stay much later. Uh, so beyond eight hours. Uh, they have a general practitioner, they have a mental health practitioner, they have a dentist, all, you know, they, they provided all the meals, uh, they had uh, posters of indoctrination in there. I mean, all of it is, it's basically the institutionalization of our children. And the next step is to really have a dormitory. So the parent has become completely irrelevant. And George, at the same time, parents are falling for it. They're like, oh, great. I don't have to pay for extra childcare. Oh, great. I don't have to get off of work to take them to the doctor. Oh, great. I don't have to educate them about anything. Oh, great. I don't have to talk to them about depression. Oh, great. I don't have to talk to them about sex. And so parents continue to give up their really their responsibilities for their own child, thinking that the government is providing well for them. All the while government is saying, yeah, look what we're doing for you. Isn't it? It is great and we get to teach your children and they are going to do what we tell them to do and they're gonna believe what we want them to believe and we're gonna choose their career for them as well. Um, and mm -hmm. so it, it is just, it, you know, basically parents and families, many, not all, are literally handing their children over to the government and the government saying, oh yeah, we're happy to feed them, we're happy to give them healthcare, you know, and, and by the way, we're also happy to teach them our ideology and our beliefs. And by the time you're old, your children are going to believe things that you never taught them. Uh, basically, they're changing the culture of our country uh, one child at a time. And, and it is, it's, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, we still, as, we, as you said, George, that we, we're seeing it happening in our country, but we have the power to, to start slowing it down and to stop it. And a lot of that is going to be us and like yourself standing with great courage. And one of the things, uh, and I know you might have another point, but but I, I, I want to, the next thing I really wanna talk about is that very thing is the role of not only parents, but George, I think you and I talked about this before, the majority of the people who are fighting the comprehensive sexuality education and all of this critical theory period, everything, social emotional learning is about 80% are women. And we have very few male voices. And so I do wanna move into that and talk about the important role of men, the important role of husbands, the important role of fathers in protecting children and family in this country. Um, and you're, you, you are one of those men who has decided that along with your full-time job and as a pastor, that you're going to speak out on these issues. Can you, can you tell us more about, about that and how we can get more male voices involved in this? Yes, and, and Monica, just to close out the last point, um, one of the mm -hmm. things that my older brothers and sisters experienced as well as my, my aunts and uncles and parents in public school in, in Romania under communism is, from day one, the teachers would have all the Christian students stand up. And that's how all the, the rest of the, the students in the class, they got to see, okay, 
uh, it's, it's now, you know, open season. Uh, for the rest of the school year, we know who the Christians are. We're going to bully them. We're going to make fun of them. Uh, they'd be ridiculed on a daily basis. Um, and th the same thing is happening today under the guise of woke ideology. Uh, if, if you're not, mm -hmm. you know, lock and step into wokeness and, and critical theory, you know, teachers are going to bully you. Other students are going to bully you. Teachers are not going to be there to protect you and to make everybody feel safe. Uh, you know, the human rights campaign started this whole welcoming schools and safe schools programs. You know, that's all that's all a bunch of nonsense, uh, because the only people they care about protecting and keeping safe are people with their ideology. And and uh -huh. so that is a huge difference from the founding fathers and the the values that America has always had. You know, we, we are inclusive. America has always been inclusive. Um, why are we the melting pot of the world? Uh, you know, um, you know, wh wh why is everybody trying to escape other countries to come here? I, I haven't seen people trying to climb the wall going the other way. <laughs> uh, so for me That's as right. an immigrant, as an immigrant, uh, it is it is just um, ludicrous. The things that I am hearing about America um, but yes, I mean, you know, to tie that back into, um, you know, the, the point about fathers, about men, uh, you know, I look at my family's experience and, and seeing how my dad stood up against this ideology at the, at the cost of everything, his career as Christians, um, you know, they, they weren't able to get into higher education. We have generation after generation from the forties to the eighties in Romania where you don't have Christian doctors, Christian lawyers, Christian policemen, because those were all occupations that you weren't going to get because it was the government who assigned basically, um, you know, who, who's loyal to the party. That's who's going to get that job. Um, and, and so that's the same thing that's going to end up happening here is if, if you want to get a job as a university professor, well, if you're not woke, you're not going to get it. But, oh, you know, that's just because you're not meeting our diversity guidelines and quotas for our hiring practices. So we're using and redefining terms um, in order to get away from using what they really should be using, discrimination. Um, and so um, th this was well, we one saw of the that, things George, that... George, didn't we see that also with, with, um, with Biden when he first uh, was elected? There, we you know we heard on conservative news that a lot of the military people were being told and asked what their beliefs were, and they were being asked to resign if they were conservative. So they were being asked to resign if they saw on their social media that they had supported Trump. And so it's very similar. It's like, okay, well, here we have the military. We, you know, Biden and, and his administration leaning or, or just being in more of a socialist party that they're basically saying, well, we're going to get rid of the people who believe in conservative values out of the military because they're going to cause us problems. Uh, mm -hmm. And you don't hear about that a lot, but it happened and it continues to happen. Um, and, and as far as what you were talking about with, you know, what happened in Romania with pointing out who the Christians were, that is happening in our schools. So when you mentioned welcoming schools, um, which is an, an it's an anti-bullying program in by name, but it's really
really about teaching preschool and above about homosexual relationships and about gender identity. So it's really about teaching the children about sexuality uh, and alternative sexuality from preschool. Uh, but they also have a day of silence to recognize the LGBTQ movement. And my son in high school was being somewhat bullied by friends and teachers for not participating in the day of silence. And so I asked him, you know, and my son is a nonconformist. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. But, um, <laughs> you know, but but that's fine. Um, and he he said that, you know, he was being harassed, you know, being told that he was not supportive, that he was a bigot, that he was a bully. And he went to one of his male friends that he knew was gay. And he he let him know, I you're my friend. You're my friend, but I don't think I need to participate in this activity to be your friend. I don't have to be an activist for what you want. Like I can choose not to, and it doesn't mean that you're not my friend. And his friend agreed with him. And so luckily my, my son had enough strength within his own beliefs um, that, you know, he didn't, and he is, he's just not a conformist. So just because you put on an event at school doesn't mean he's going to be part of that event. If he doesn't believe in it, he's not going to do it. But the point is, is that he was being bullied for not doing it. And that is what's happening to children every day at school is if you don't participate and fully participate and fully become an activist for whatever activity we're doing, then you are wrong. And these children are being told that their parents are worshiping a God of hate, if it's a Christian God. Uh, mm -hmm. And our children are not as strong as we are. And so they're going to cave under that bullying, that pressure, because they want to be loved and accepted by not only their teachers, but their friends. And this is what our children are facing each and every day, which is why family is so important. Families and especially fathers. Um, you know, I was mm -hmm. shocked because one of the uh, first organizations that I was involved with was Informed Parents of California. And we had a Facebook page that's still active uh, with, you know, over 50,000 members. And when I looked at the statistics within that Facebook page, uh, over 80% of them were women. Um, and I, I had spoken with a state senator uh, in 2019 here in California um, when I was um, in Sacramento on one of my trips. And we were in his office and he said, um, you know what the reality is, is that, um, you know, women are the, the ones that are involved in all of these. He said, look at the history, look at mothers against drunk driving. Nothing happened with drunk driving laws until mothers got involved. Uh, and it's a sad reality. Uh, men have become very passive in Western culture. Um, and, and that's not the way that it is, uh, you know, where I come from in Eastern Europe, it's, it's a very, you know, male, uh, not male dominated culture, but, you know, males take their responsibilities to protect their families very seriously. Um, but still, you know, communism tried for over 40 years in Romania to, to eradicate that um, and to just, you know, even though most people will say, well, well, you know, communism and Marxism, you know, it's all based on collectivism for, you know, it's an economic uh, system. But slowly that worldview of collectivism spills into everything in life uh, and it spills into the family. No, you don't have family units. No, you know, eh, eh, kids don't belong to the parents. They belong to the state. The state gets to decide, 
you know, how to distribute human resources now, what their jobs are going to be, where we need more production, uh, you know, workforce. And so it, it, it all comes down to that worldview is not segmented and just applied into one area of life. It's going to be applied everywhere. And I, I would like to ask the men who are listening to this podcast here to please stand up. You know, when when men stand up, something happens and you can go and read about studies. Um, one of the things that first shocked me was I was preparing about six or seven years ago, um, a sermon for Father's Day. And I was shocked to see the statistics in single parent homes that are led by moms versus single parent homes that are dads. Now, the vast majority of single parent homes are moms. And, and that's so unfortunate. Um, but the moms who are trying to take their children to church versus in a single parent home, that's the dad, the single parent, and they were trying to take their children to church. There was a huge disparity. There's somewhat of like 25% of children in a single parent home led by a female that would end up going to church versus something like 75% if it was the dad. In, in that situation. There is something that God has created into our design uh, to follow the leadership uh, of, of a male role model. Um, and so that is needed here in this movement. We can't just sit back, be passive saying, well, I'm, I'm already working full time. I'm already doing something else. Uh, no, unfortunately, um, the church has been silent on this topic for so long that we have allowed the other side to take back culture into their favor. And so it's, it's our time to stand up and there's a lot of work to be done. There, there is, there is. And before anyone misunderstands what we're saying on this podcast, we are not, you know, the truth is, and I know George agrees with me, the women who have been fighting this for decades now have done a phenomenal job. Uh, and, and not just phenomenal. I mean, we're the ones that have been strategizing. We're the ones that have created nonprofit organizations. We're the ones who have been able to do many, many things. So this is not about saying, oh, the women are not effective because they're incredibly effective. But what we as women leaders in this movement, we're also wondering what you just said, George, is why is the church silent? Why won't the churches talk about this? And why are our men standing next to us also with the banner saying we're going to protect children um and mm -hmm. that's what we're really saying you know so even in texas over the you know for as long as we've been working with legislators one of the things that male legislators which majority of the legislators are male have admitted to us is it's very they don't want to author bills about sexuality because they're afraid they're going to be labeled a sexual bigot or, or something, you know, being a sexist. And so they admit that they don't feel comfortable doing it as men. And they're like, go to a female legislator. Um, and, and these men, they do want to protect children, but they're afraid to. And so I don't really know, George, what needs to change. But I will say, as a woman who was a single mom, um, and, and again, it, what we're talking about is not saying, oh, this is terrible. That, that there's so many single mother families. What, what we're saying is, is that we know that the best and, and strongest uh, and ideal 
a creation for family is the whole family, the mother, the father mm -hmm. with their children. And single parenthood is difficult. I was a single mom who had full custody of my son. My husband today actually was a single dad who had full custody of his daughters. So he's actually one of those men who did have custody of his girls and raised them himself. Um, and so what we're saying here is that we do need not only the woman's leadership, but we need the men's leadership. And what many of us are seeing is where is that male leadership? And we want to hear I, I, from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, I, I am so grateful for all the women that have been involved because, you know, everything that that has helped me to date come up to speed on this topic has mainly been from women. Uh, and right. and and I asked myself that question as I was looking through all of this and even parents that I'm networking with. It's it's constantly women. And um, thank you. I mean, I can't say thank you enough uh, to our women. And, you know, I, I come from a, a large family. I have eight sisters. Uh, a mom, I have, you know, 10 aunts, uh, I have a, a daughter, I have a, a wife. I mean, in my family, we are <laughs> dominated by very strong women. Uh, and I'm so grateful for every one of my, my sisters, every one of the women in, in, you know, my family, my wife, especially, who has been so supportive of me throughout all of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's sad to see that the men are not carrying their weight here. And, and that's what mm -hmm. we're saying here. Men wake up. Thank you. Yes, George. And, and thank you for acknowledging that you have learned so much from the women. And, and it's true. As we're talking about sexual rights for children, the truth is, is that was all created by Alfred Kinsey in the forties. And it's Dr. Judith Reisman, one woman for decades and decades has been the one that has revealed all of his, uh, you know, unethical, illegal, uh, you know, research that he did on children, uh, which is really just the, the sexual abuse of and rape of children for many years. And so all of this that we're seeing has been discovered and worked on by women. Uh, George, you're, you're acknowledging that you've learned so much from the women. And yes, we need to hear from the men. And so hopefully we'll start to see that. George, thank you so much for for sharing with us your perspective and, and the work that you're doing as a father uh, in this movement of protecting our children. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of people get scared when they get into this because they recognize uh, maybe that, oh, th this is some heavy lifting that needs to be done. Uh, and so they might be discouraged to even start, but you know, it starts small. I don't think that you have to automatically go to school boards or go to county boards of education or the state. Start somewhere small. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the things that you can be doing is sharing this information. If you're listening to this podcast, share the podcast. And uh, you might have never shared something like this on your Facebook or Instagram or, or tweeted about it. Uh, but start sharing it. And maybe people in your network will be like, hmm. I've never seen him post something like this. That means there's something here. Uh, let me look into it. Um, and so, you know, I, I think people in my network are probably tired of me sharing about all of this stuff because this is what I've, I've been doing 24 seven for the last three years. Um, but you could start off small, um, then start networking with other parents in your area and and go together go as a, a voice as a force together to your school board 
Um, that's what we ended up doing three years ago. And we were able to stop the curriculum that they were wanting to adopt for the junior high um, in my school district. And it, to this date, it hasn't been implemented yet. So we've, we've bought three years of precious you know, time. Um, and you know, in those three years, we're talking about thousands of students that didn't have to get abused by this curriculum. So, so there are things that you could be doing and wins that we can get, uh, even though they might not be humongous wins. We haven't been able to you know, push back and repeal the law, uh, but you have to start, be part of this movement, start small. And then after you band together with parents in your, your school district, you're going to start to learn about parents in other school districts. You're going to start to learn about organizations like ours. And, and slowly this movement will grow uh, and we'll continue to push back. Um, and, you know, for, for the believers listening to this podcast, th this is truly a spiritual warfare. Uh, the, the forces on the other side are pure evil. They're pure demonic. Now, I want to clarify here. We're not saying the people there are, are demonic. Um, they might be influenced by those demonic forces um, as what the Bible tells us. Uh, but we love the people. Uh, we, we love them. Every human being is created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. They have uh, intrinsic value. They have infinite value because they've been not just created by God, but bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we send that message uh, we actually, as Christians, have the most inclusive message of love. But love always has to be grounded in truth, because if it isn't, it is not love. Uh, and so we have to learn to speak these truths of our worldview. Um, and we have to learn how to make these arguments, because our arguments are stronger than theirs. And so I pray that God will give you wisdom, and that he give you energy, uh, and that he'll just give you a passion for standing up for all children and protecting them. Thank you for joining us today. That is the end of my part two with George Roska. Make sure that you tune in next week for more great information and insights into what you can do to protect your children from these dangerous ideologies. Guys, if this information is impacting you in a positive way, please consider supporting It Takes a Family by going to our website, ittakesafamily.org and clicking on the donate button. We are a nonprofit organization and your support is greatly appreciated.